Welcome to Fresh Off the Boat. This is a podcast in times of COVID. Uh, it's also a way to reconnect with dear students I've worked with in the past. Of course, they're no longer students. They're also teaching and doing all kinds of interesting things. Uh, today, I'm uh, so privileged to uh, interview uh, Abir Saha. Uh, Abir, I don't know if you still pronounce your name in the Indian way. So excuse me. <laughs> I'm sure in the US, it would be Abir or something else. But, yeah, uh, yeah. In the US, it's definitely uh, Abir. Uh, very, uh, very much so. I've gotten so, used to that. So when yeah. you're going to grab a beer with a beer, so it's kind of yeah. interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but okay. Yeah, go ahead. You have to say something. It's gotten a little old, uh, frankly. Um, <laughs> um, I think when I came came here in college for college, um, uh, when I realized that that's the connection people would make, I... Um, I definitely try to avoid situations in which that would come up. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely been an interesting <laughs> twist on on my name that, frankly, I should have seen coming, but um, no, I, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we'll get get along with our business of interviewing you. Yeah, um, this uh, journey has been fascinating. I've been just watching, like, just following your. Uh, LinkedIn feed recently, and just knowing that that you're a curator at the Smithsonian in Washington D.C. sounds super cool. Uh, many students yeah, fortunate. With, yeah, and also the fact that you started off as mechanical engineering at uh, University of Virginia, which is a kind of coveted place to be. We'd love to know more about that. Just to uh, remind myself, you graduated from high school in 2009. I've known you exactly. ever since because we were neighbors. <laughs> yes. yes. And uh, always kind of uh, was never disappointed with the sound of music and guitar playing that emanated <laughs> from your apartment. Uh, uh-huh. We talk about music and other interests too during this course of uh, sure. 20 minutes. Very quickly, uh, what did you expect when you went in? To college and University of Virginia mm. in 2009, was it very different from what you had imagined it would be? I think um, I think there I was ext- I was really excited. I think when I when I went to UVA when I moved um, to America, I was thrilled. I remember um, my my dad went there to sort of drop me off, and I was just more than happy for him to leave. And uh, you know, in retrospect, that might not have been the most sensitive thing, but um, you know, he he also recalls my excitement. So I was just I was really thrilled, um, and it was always beyond my expectations uh, at at a lot of levels. In one sense, because I really didn't know what to expect. It was my first time in in America, um, and really. Um, living in in the in, in the so-called west uh, it was it was the first time for me and so uh, i i didn't have huge expectations i i knew it would be fun and uva and charlottesville really met up with all of those expectations uh in one sense beyond way beyond anything i could have imagined when you look at a uh, few things that really worked during your four years and things that really were challenging mm-hmm. did you kind of uh, reflect on the people or situations that would define your four years at UVA? Mm -hmm. I think um, one of the best decisions I made was to stay in one of the uh, regular undergraduate dorms. I didn't choose to live in 
um, at the international dorms. I didn't choose to live in like special colleges within the university. I chose to live in, um, in the dorms where I could really interact with um, uh, Americans my age. And that was, I, I, in, in retrospect, I think that was definitely one of the best decisions. I um, was able to make friends with people from, uh, you know, a lot of different backgrounds for sure, but also just um, regular day-to-day Americans. And uh, I think that was a fascinating experience. Also to have the college experience um, that, um, that was, uh, let's just say, <laughs> typical of, of American colleges, big American colleges like UVA. Uh, was was fascinating. It's something I wanted to experience, and it's it's something that I got uh, in all its you know weird and complicated and messy um, uh, situations that it can offer. So I think definitely one of the best things I did was stay in a regular uh, dormitory with uh, you know twenty other twenty other kids. Um, yeah, I think that was, that was fascinating. That was a fascinating for experience. anyone listening in. I'm sure that's great yeah. Advice. But what about yeah. uh, choosing the academic path that you'd already signed up for mechanical engineering? Yeah. And what so, is it like? Of course. Um, and, and engineering, I mean, at the undergraduate level at this point everywhere is, um, it wasn't exactly what I'd expected, frankly. Um, it was um, a lot, there was a lot of, well, book learning. Most of the um, hands-on engineering that I was most excited about and looking forward to was reserved for the end of the third and a little bit of the fourth year. So your final year, basically, um, was when you actually got to, you know, play with um, uh, circuits and um, uh, motors and things like that. Um, a lot of a lot of the other training was. Um, mostly mathematical and uh, if a little bit um, involving like computer modeling. Uh, so I did, I did some CAD and that was interesting. But um, overall, I think it didn't meet my expectations because it was, um, you know, when you think of mechanical engineering, you really sort of, at least my naive understanding at the time was, yeah, I'd have greasy fingers and I'd be, you know, taking things apart and putting them together putting them together. And that's, is really not what you do in engineering anymore. Um, so it, it, it was, um, it was unexpected. And I remember um, probably the best thing that I did uh, going through undergraduate, something that I wouldn't have been able to do in India is um, take classes in different areas, uh, in different fields altogether. Every single semester, I took at least one class uh, in uh, whatever uh, I remember, astronomy, oceanography, economics, uh, religion, philosophy. I took classes in things that were not engineering. And I think that was uh, probably, looking back, one of the smartest things I did. It's interesting because you're also pursuing a PhD in environmental science and the link with capitalism and all the problems of capitalism. Yeah, yeah, actually. How did that go? Is it still, are you still pursuing it or is it? Yeah, it's a PhD in environmental history, actually. So it's a a history PhD. Uh, But a lot of my research is on the history of the environment and um, the history of the, the, the ways in which the environment has influenced human history, society. This is definitely stems from your initial sort of idea of 
liberally educating yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Classes in philosophy. Absolutely. I came to appreciate the liberal arts so much by doing that. So the way that worked was um, after after my four years of engineering, I decided, you know what, I don't really want to do this engineering. Like it's not what I had in mind. Uh, and I, I sort of figured that out in the last couple of years. But at that point, you know, I invested too much to step back and change course. So I decided to finish. And overall, I think it was a good decision to finish. Um, and I got a job um, working at a um, financial data warehouse. Uh, it's basically this company that builds uh, a lot of software and gathers a lot of financial information for Wall Street. And um, I worked there as a database consultant. So I used to visit small banks and talk to them about their data needs. So I suddenly turned into this basically uh, a database engineer from a mechanical engineer. I I sort of picked up SQL, which is a fairly easy language to learn. And I I started doing that and that was fun. Um, That was fun and interesting. And uh, I had a great team. Um, So everything was going well. And then after two years there, I started saying to myself, you know, I can't really imagine myself doing this for the rest of my life. Uh, It's it's nice, but it's not what I really care about. And so um, I sort of thought back to my undergraduate experience. And uh, in in undergrad, I'd written this, uh, what's called a socio-technical thesis alongside my technical thesis. At least that's what it's called at UVA. And I'd written about the Yamuna River and the sort of religious as well as uh, political and environmental politics that had um, emerged and converged on this river um, in the early 2000s and and 2010 um, period um, to revive the river, right? Because the river wasn't doing so well and so on and so forth. And I remember just loving doing that project. And so I... um, went back to meet one of my professors who, who was sort of responsible for that, uh, who was my advisor. And I said, you know, how can I do this for the rest of my life? And he said, uh, come join our PhD program. And that's sort of how it went. Um, I started applying for PhDs. Um, I got in for a couple of master's programs here and there. It, it wasn't the easiest transition moving from um, engineering to history because I didn't really have that much experience in history. Thankfully, I had this socio-technical thesis, so that got me most of the way. Um, uh, but you know, it, it's not the easiest job convincing someone that you want to get into a history PhD. So I got into a lot of master's program uh, programs, but UVA, because of my uh, professor, was ready to accept me into the fully funded PhD, and I. I went for it, and I think that's from then on, it was... and I think that speaks volumes of a large public school and the personal connections yes. we were able to form, even in absolutely, in that yeah, so especially connections with professors. Right, it's yeah. it's hugely important. Anyone applying for any uh, sort of higher degrees in the U.S., if there's some way you can actually meet with uh, the people that you're applying to work with, um, it's it's going to do do wonders for your application. Yeah. Your thesis um, seems so fascinating, sitting halfway across the globe and thinking about our, you know, backyard Yamuna River. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's because I grew up around it, right? I grew up in Delhi. I was born in Delhi. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I read something about sacred environments and I think Mm. uh, the the Yamuna River obviously has a strong uh, presence in Hindu mythology. Um, mm. What was the connection? Did you draw connections in your thesis in 
for that or it was not necessarily yeah no absolutely i i i did um so i was always interested in the environment and the yamuna river was something sort of close to home that i i identified with its um uh, frankly a, a miserable condition i mean the un called it dead um not so long ago and um so i started i started looking into i you know i picked up a few books that uh where i spoke about it and i started looking into its condition and how it got that that way and uh i was especially interested in how people um of uh, who who thought of the river as sacred were especially motivated to like find out about uh it, sort of the environmental uh realities of the river it wasn't just you know um save the yamuna but it was also uh look this is how polluted it is this is the biological oxygen demand level this is you know these are the chemicals in the river i mean there was there was a sort of translation going on between religion and sort of in the environmental reality and that's what i was that's what i focused on in my um undergraduate piece but uh later on in grad school when i started doing my history phd i also sort of detoured a little from my uh my dissertation and did this half a year long project i wrote a paper on the yamuna again so i've had this abiding interest in the river and i'm i hope to publish on it uh the moment my dissertation is done with but right now that's what i'm focusing on i'm wrapping that up um as i start this new job fascinating and i'm sure there are students in our network who are interested in pursuing interdisciplinary majors um, and mm-hmm. love to put two and two together and um, yeah no of course you always have to talk yeah so anyways i moving forward i'm going to change the pace of things mm-hmm. uh, uh kind of rapid fire questions yeah if you were to think of uh, three strengths and adjectives that sort of define those strengths which three words would you pick strengths as in my own strengths yep. or yep. oh okay uh well i would definitely say um a curiosity and a willingness to learn um i've always been intellectually curious so there's that um the other would be i don't um i keep i keep persevering i mean a phd is a as a whole and total act of perseverance there's no way you're going to get it if you are someone to sort of give up halfway there <laughs> it is a very very demanding extremely long uh process that you just need to finish so um that and i and i'm i'm on that home home stretch the home run of my of my degree so that and i'd say um i like to pursue my dreams so there you go that's great one more question about uh, failures learning i know you've talked about not liking mechanical engineering as much but leave that aside anything else yeah. that life has really taught you um life here um I think um what you learn um not just here in the atmosphere but also as you pursue higher studies is uh you can't be afraid of criticism. I think um in India at least uh well I don't want to generalize at least as I was growing up there was a sense of uh really fearing criticism but here criticism is is the ladder for for growth and improvement and I think that's an important and sometimes difficult lesson to learn. So yeah one i've definitely been learning throughout uh throughout the phd from the time i've known you uh, i know your interests in music and basketball and other mm-hmm. things uh, related to writing i remember you know yeah the- yeah you have a sharp memory <laughs> yes after 10 years yeah right uh, what 
how did those change and what new things did you pick up sure um interestingly um i totally dropped basketball after i moved here for the simple fact that everyone was so much better uh, i mean the quality of basketball here is just 10 steps above uh um in india plus people uh, the people who do play basketball here are a lot taller you know and i'm not any 6 foot 3 giant uh, like my brother <laughs> um he still plays basketball i play a lot more cricket actually i got i got into playing cricket after coming here i mean i played cricket in school as well but um there's something um nostalgic about playing cricket now and i love that um do you think it's yeah. got to do with virginia dc area that you still uh, no i think it's anywhere that there are you know desi folk or just um a larger south asian population and lots of bangladeshi kids will also be I love playing cricket here so um yeah um i'm sure dc has several um i'm i'm in dc now by the way uh dc has several cricketing clubs i just haven't had a chance to join them yet because i moved only recently um but yeah yeah there's there's a lot of there's a plenty of opportunity for that and uh, I, about the music um you know it's been it's been up and down i remember when i first came to the us i used to do a lot a lot of music and then eventually when grad school happened you you sort of grad school takes over your life and i had to really make an effort to start uh playing my guitar again finally now that i'm seeing light at the end of the tunnel i've been playing a lot more um and singing and all of that so um that i think i think that'll always be with me so i i uh it, it goes through its phases but it's definitely up up on the crest right now yeah this job at smithsonian the curator yeah. it sounds like um, you know a night in the museum <laughs> yeah yeah it does um, yeah sort of uh, story uh, what does it really mean what is your day like sure yeah so um curators at any museum have broadly three things that they do one is uh, create they create exhibitions so when you go to a museum and you see a you know um a presentation on a certain topic or a certain era um that's created by curators um because they have to um select objects or art i do objects i'm, I'm an historian so um yeah and and they have to present it in a certain context alongside other objects and try to tell a story and have um make an argument essentially so exhibitions are the first and most important thing that curators do um well it's kind of hard to say most important i i think it is at one very important thing the other very important thing that curators do is they collect for posterity they uh collect objects that um will have a history and will be important to preserve uh for for the future and for in telling a story for future generations that's important and significant so i enjoyed that quite a lot you get to speak with uh really interesting people almost everyone will pick up your calls if you tell them you're a curator at the Smithsonian so i've managed to have uh conversations with people from all walks of life and um people about whom movies have been made you know it's been a really interesting um a journey uh, as far as collecting goes and finally research um uh, all curators conduct research because your uh, the rest of the other two exhibitions and collections are kind of based on the fact that you are um a serious uh researcher and academic i read something about aerospace or if i'm not sure mm-hmm. aeronautics uh, is mm-hmm. that a particular project you're working on at the smithsonian no i'm not working on aerospace there uh, there is the smithsonian is 
the world's largest Great complex fun. of museums. And one of the museums there is the uh, Aerospace Museum. And that's sort of been under construction. So they're doing a lot of work there. One of the things that I'm working on is uh, helping uh, with a, an exhibition for the Smithsonian's uh, 175th anniversary, which is going to happen next year. So we've been working on that to, um, to sort of reconstruct some pretty amazing um, technological um, uh, presentations. So I'll, I'll, I'll say no more because I don't think I'm allowed to. <laughs> right. That's yeah. fantastic. Looking forward to, yeah, the, the yeah. trailers and reviews. <laughs> Maybe this, this year it's all going to be online. What, what do uh, yeah. creators and uh, museums have to uh, offer now in this world of lockdown? I know many uh, collections are available for view online. Uh, A lot of things have been happening. You're right. A lot of things have been happening online. Um, curators have started creating video content from their homes, which has been fascinating. Um, uh, um, but a lot of the plans for exhibitions on the floor have obviously been postponed at this point indefinitely until we get back into the museums, because at the end of the day, museums are, uh, you know, real brick and mortar buildings and places where millions of people come to visit and so it's it's definitely affected that world um, at the same time i think we're we're also having an opportunity to collect in very interesting times um, you know where we're collecting masks and we're collecting um, the kind of photography that people are putting out there at this moment so um, well, there's always work to do as a curator it's just not necessarily right now as public facing as it often is. Um, and the public facing stuff is definitely more in the digital realm now. So it, it kind of fits with museum efforts worldwide to become more digital. So uh, it's sort of pushing us in that direction. Fascinating. Again, just, uh, just the fact that we all, in all our careers in education and in your work, have nimbly adapted to sort of mm -hmm is what can be done instead of just yeah. being complacent and uh, just kind of giving up. Uh, that's, that, that's the strength of humanity. Again, uh, these interesting snippets from your life really show the positivity. Where do you drive, where do you derive all the positivity from? Uh, huh. What do you do to feed your soul and being? Yeah, I, I, I'd like to think that I'm a fairly sort of spiritual person. I try and meditate every day. And um, um, I also read a lot and that gives me a lot of peace, you know, not just um, not just history, but uh, I read a lot of philosophical literature. So I've been a contemplative person and I think that definitely helps me, If uh, especially in today's day and age when stress is a very real thing and at, at increasingly early and early ages. I, I, I just recommend people, you know, take five minutes in their day and uh, take deep breaths, do yoga. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so that's something. It's been uh, on your Instagram feed and everything else. What's uh -huh. yoga and what's, uh, how, did, how did you get into yeah. it? Where are you going with it? Yeah, I, uh, uh, I used to, you know, I, I never liked going to the gym. And yoga for me started off as like a way to exercise that I could, um, do at home or do at a yoga studio and um but but it never became a very um active and regular part of my my days until uh, honestly just the last year or so 
And um, I went to this yoga studio that I really liked that had a really strong community uh, angle to it. Um, and um, you know what, that clicked and I started going regularly and I made friends and all of a sudden I just, I find a lot of, I find a tremendous amount of value in the practices of yoga. Um, so for my physical health, I've never been healthier, but also like my mental and emotional health have been great because um, of the kind of contemplative practices that yoga encourages. So I'm, I'm actually doing a yoga teacher training, or at least I was until all of this happened. So right. that'll start back up when, um, whenever we're you know, allowed to do that. But I've been taking plenty of yoga classes online, especially now there's so many free ones. Yeah, I encourage right. people to do that. Super. So one more question about your me time, like the time that you want to call. I know you mentioned meditation, reading. Is, mm -hmm. is there a suggestion, like authors, books that you've recently read, or mm -hmm. any other online material that you think is worth sharing? Sure. Um, I am a huge um fan of the Bhagavad Gita actually I, I remember I started reading that text um, on my flight to the U.S. about 10 years ago um, and it was the first time I just picked up like a, a Gita press version those tiny pocket versions but over the years I've read a lot of different translations and it's um, it's a very short text that offers this um, really uh, fascinating perspective on life and it's given me a lot of um, just uh, hope and peace and contentment in the way I approach things. Um, so yeah, no, I recommend it as just like a non-sectarian text, frankly, because it is, it, 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 it resonates with a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds. Um, yeah. Sort of yeah, see the so, connection, the dots with the Yamuna and the Bhagavad Gita. And yoga and things. Yeah, it's all because, I mean, the Bhagavad Gita is really all about yoga at the end of the day. It's not so much about the asana practice, but it's about the state of mind. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that definitely licks up. Um, as far as um, sort of, uh, I guess, more uh, worldly text, I'm a huge reader of fiction. Um, I, I love fiction. I, I especially enjoy fantasy fiction. I mean, I'm someone who grew up reading Harry Potter, for instance, and, you know, I still am today a huge fan. Uh, but I think a lot of people uh, who sort of read those books uh, at a certain point growing up never sort of keep reading fantasy. And I, I urge people who do enjoy a good story to, to, to read people like uh, Brandon Sanderson, who's a huge up and coming fantasy author. He has several series, tons of books. Um, any of his work would be a great start for someone who wants to sort of re-experience or um, add some more magic to their to their lives. So, yeah. Fantastic. I'm sure uh, some of our students who are supposed to go to college this year, I'll definitely share uh, your recommendations with. Yeah. Uh, coming to those kids, actually, uh, they're sort of uh, disappointed in general. Of they course. Don't know what's uh, coming next? Uh, they're supposed to have a packing list ready, and like you, mm -hmm. all excited about you know discovering a yeah. new land and a new life. Uh, yeah. And also, the kids who just graduated from college, having lost their internships or job offers. Yeah. What do you think is um, a way to tide over the storm in their lives? Sure. I mean, I can especially speak to. Um, 
people who have just graduated because you know the economic prospects don't look good. I joined college, um, you know, a year after the financial collapse of 2008, and I joined um, a UVA in 2009, and I met a lot of people who were, uh, you know, starting to enter the job market at those times, um, and I see that, you know, they've, they've all, most of them have overcome that, right? No one, no one has been sort of permanently um, uh, disabled because of graduating at that time. So that's what I encourage the, the people who are graduating right now, that this will also pass, you know, um, work, work your network, your circle of friends, your connections to find something that will get you going or, or just like give you some experience for the time being, even if you have to do some un, unpaid internships and whatnot, do that, uh, this too shall pass. Um, I think I can say that very confidently. Uh, as, for, as for students who, um, you know, uh, we're planning to come to the U.S. this August, and that might not happen. Um, and, you know, they're probably doing online classes or whatever it is. I'm not exactly sure what different colleges are um, doing about it. Um, I'd say, yeah, it's, it's okay to, to be disappointed and, you know, take your time to, um, to get over that. But um, this is also a, a new experience, frankly. This is also going to be, uh, I mean, in one sense, a historic experience, you know, very, when has this ever happened before in, in the living memory of most people? Uh, it hasn't, especially not like doing college um, from continents away. Uh, uh, that, that's just, I think it's a fascinating experience. It's not, it's also not going to be how it's going to remain, right? There will come a point uh, where students will actually uh, return to in-person classes and, um, uh, I think uh, now is the time to find what um, what you really uh, can get out of an otherwise uh, unexpected situation, because all of these unexpected situations have unexpected, uh, uh, you know, rewards in one sense. I've definitely found things that I could, wouldn't have done otherwise that I have been able to do during COVID. So find those things. Great. So I think with that, we'd, we'd want to uh, wrap things up. It's been a sure. delightful 25 odd minutes uh, chatting with you after so many years, the reconnection. I agree, Arjun. Yeah, Amazing. thank you. Thank you so much for uh, energizing my evening here and have a great day ahead. Perfect. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.